This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. In the untouched regions of the forest, the kōkako runs through the treetops feeding on leaves, flowers and fruit. The South Island kōkako, with its distinctive orange wattles at the base of the bill, hasn't been sighted in many years and may be extinct. A situation the blue wattle bird of the North Island may find itself in unless its habitat is preserved. Its delightful call includes a variety of rich organ and bell-like notes. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quaker's Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good day, friends. Today we have with us Mike Joy. He's a research fellow at the School of Government at Victoria University. His research interests are economics and ecological systems and the interface between science, policy, and environmental protection. He has written on the need for degrowth economics. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcasting, going to community or chaos. Welcome aboard, Mike. Right, thank uh, thanks you for, for your your work, actually. Yes, I see that I made the um, Otago Daily Times yesterday or the day before, which is um, which is pretty good. They were the only kind of um, mainstream newspaper in New Zealand that picked that story up about degrowth. So that's a good sign. Yeah, that's a good sign. Except we're so far behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, relative. It's all relative, Marvin. Yes. What led you to, as an ecologist, to take an interest in economics? Um, I just, as an ecologist, I mean, the core to understanding ecology is interconnection of all things and that humans are a part of of the ecology of the planet. And and it's just my um, thinking the way that I can't be a reductionist scientist that I have to understand. So I start off looking at fresh water and New Zealand and, and then I have to understand why are we destroying it. Um, and so I keep looking for, you know, having to go bigger and bigger and bigger to, to try and understand why we, we would do something so stupid. And, and inevitably, uh, economics is, is, is where you land. So, with um, economic where you're landing, you briefly talked about reductionists. Isn't that one of the problems both with um, orthodox science and economics? They both tend they both orthodox economics and. Um, that's classical economics, and uh, science tends to be reductionist. Yeah, oh. very binary. 
yeah and but but i mean they're both very general terms um sure you know so so ecology fits into science as a as a discipline but it's so unlike reductionist i, I would I, you know i mean you think about things like chemistry and physics they're very reductionist you can you can be very narrow in your in your view but completely understand those fields but um that's where ecology is different and it's different from economics as well as it you you have to take into account all of the connections or you don't have to you inevitably when you understand it understand the interconnectedness of everything and and you kind of see also um the limitations of uh you know how how much we understand how much economics just doesn't get the reality of of what's what's happening. The actually, I think that in some ways, the most advanced physics, quantum mechanics, isn't as reductionist as much science. No, yeah, maybe that's true. Yeah, um, but that's by the board, really. Mm. <laughs> but you're right. Don't we have to think of the whole solar system when we actually think of ecology yeah yeah we do and, and i just found this quote that i'd that i'd like to share about i think um it, it kind of says it all compared to the real value of the earth and its organisms our minuscule annual economy is like a flea on the dog yet our decisions are always about maximizing the short-term gain for the flea as if it's all that matters. Without the dog, the flea loses any worth it presumed it had. That's Tom Murphy, um, who's a mathematician from the States, but and he has a, a marvellous uh, website called Do The Math that's really worth looking at. He's been, been writing a lot of great stuff recently. But the flea on the dog is pretty much the economy um, in relation to the planet. And, uh, you know, this is where, I mean, to me, that just... just sums up beautifully um the reality versus uh, we the sort of the way we kid ourselves into what we think is important what are the best and worst possible case scenarios or prognosis for the future with climate change and uh, also general environmental degradation yeah i mean you sort of touched on it there i think that it's really really important to to say at the outset that Climate change is a symptom, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's a symptom. It's just a symptom, and we have a whole bunch of symptoms. If I, if I was a human, you know, a person at the at the at the physician, the physician would be looking at this person and 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 seeing that all there's just a whole bunch of symptoms of an illness that is overshoot. We have just pushed and pushed and pushed the planet way beyond its limits. And so all these things are biting back now. Um, you know, there's a whole raft of, of different um, measures that you could look at to see, you know, just how far we've exceeded the, the the capability of the planet to hold us. So, I mean, just just I have a quick little run through um, the degradation of our soils, you know, massive, massive degradation of soils, depleting of groundwater, the deforestation the invasive species, the crash of biodiversity, um, fisheries, eutrophication, which is what I work on, you know, the nutrients that are overloading our waterways and our oceans, acidification of the ocean, which is is climate change related, 
um, depletion of a whole bunch of, of natural resources, um, land use change and decaying infrastructure, they're all symptoms of uh, of planetary overshoot or of us exceeding the limits of the of the biocapacity of the planet. And so we don't, I mean, it sounds horrendously big, but it also simplifies the problem because all of those things can be fixed by taking, by using less, by consuming less, by backing off growth and starting to degrow. So it's it's frightening and it's and it's urgent, but the answer is simple. We just we just consume less and do less, and 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 I'm sure that there'll be that our our lives will be much better for it. Um, I don't think there is any other alternative. There's you know there's a lot of sort of faith in technology, but I, I have looked deeply into that and. Um, the reality is there's just no way. Actually, it's it's more frightening to me the attempts that are made to try and maintain our lifestyles with alternative technologies that are actually going to be just pushing us, you know, the, the cure is going to be worse than the illness and that will push us even faster over the edge trying to, um, trying to replace that. And it's kind of, I guess the way I think about it is... A, People think that what I'm talking about is radical, but what they don't understand is that how we live now is radical. I mean, it's all we've known and it's all our parents have known. And so we sort of think that it's normal, but um, it's so far from normal. Um, we're, we're, our lifestyles are incredibly radical and where we need to be is not radical. And that's kind of the reverse of what most people think. Can you, for a non-scientist, can you talk about... Uh... The concept of overshoot and also the concept of uh, feedback. Yeah, well, I mean, overshoot is just exceeding. I mean, you could just think of it as your your own your own budget. You earn you know two hundred bucks a week, and and you're spending four hundred bucks a week. Or in our case, we're spending, you know, about in New Zealand is about two point eight planets worth. So we're we're spending, you know, nearly three times our our wages. Um, and so you can do that, you know, we sort of cheat. And it's a bit like having a credit card or a line of credit or something like that. We kid ourselves that we're getting by, but actually it's just accumulating the debt. The environmental ecological debt is accumulating. And so we're, we're, um, we're just, by exceeding those limits, we're just uh, dooming the future generations to, to hell, basically. So that's the that's the idea of overshoot, and there's you know it's measured in so many different ways. The idea of a planetary footprint, the sort of um, work that's been done around um, ecological footprints, is a really good way of of describing it. And um, it came out again this year, um, April twenty third, for example. New Zealand New Zealanders on average exceeded their uh, planetary allowance. On April the nineteenth, so every day since April the nineteenth, we're we're in debt. We're borrowing against our children's future to carry on living as we are, and um, we're with a whole bunch of really bad countries that are at the beginning of the year like that. Can you tell us a bit about uh, feedback feedback mechanism? By okay, so yeah, I mean, there's there's so many different. 
almost every every uh thing that keeps us alive has a has a feedback process it's it's about um uh a cycling of almost everything that we do where I, I guess the one in relation to climate is is the carbon cycle where we have you know carbon taken up during photosynthesis by plants and uh you know in oceans and on the land and and then there's a, a breakdown of that carbon and it's released to the atmosphere and then it's taken back again and it cycles in a kind of dynamic equilibrium and it's feeding back and that's what's keeping it in homeostasis it's keeping it stable it's what keeps us um you know if we could think about within our own bodies if it gets too hot we start to sweat which will cool us down and then we can we, you know we just kind of keep this happy medium by doing that and what happens was with feedbacks is that as you make something change then it can have a, a a feedback that starts to interrupt that homeostasis of that balance and starts to throw it out of kilter uh, i guess what's a simple idea like like uh ice cover or snow cover and it it's very white and it reflects heat back to the atmosphere but as the planet starts to warm through excess carbon then you get melting of ice and so as that that ice disappears then there is not the same reflectiveness and so the earth absorbs more of that heat than it would have if the ice was there and this is a negative feedback loop where and and so that warms the planet more and so that means more ice loss and that starts to feed back on itself to the point where you start to get rapid runaway change starting to happen and and that's the, that's my best explanation for forest fires might be a result of that but also yeah. the feedback in themselves because we we talk about trees as saving carbon and helping us but if you if the planet changes so much you have lots of forest fires why those trees won't be helping us they'll be hurting us they're hurting yeah. the carbon yeah. i mean i think it goes deeper than that even marvin that we we kid ourselves that trees are helping us um they are in that planting a tree mitigates the carbon of the tree that we chop down but what it does not do is mitigate any carbon uh emission so carbon molecule is a carbon molecule they are the same thing but what we're talking about here is we've chopped down way more than half of the trees on the planet so we need to plant them to replace and that released carbon to the atmosphere just like okay. fossil carbon um and but but we so so we plant those trees black which we need to do to replace the carbon that we lost from those trees when we chopped them down but that does not mitigate for one single gram of fossil carbon the fossil carbon came from a cycle more than 65 million years ago and so there's no way in the current carbon cycle that we can mitigate fossil carbon using trees or soils or anything else because we've depleted those other components and so we need to replace them but they're not mitigating fossil we can't really avoid ecological disaster just by having alternative energy can we i mean what i've read that the amount of energy we've used in the last 
10 years, we've used, had more and more alternative energy, but we've used so much more energy that we're still using more carbon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I give the, the classic example for New Zealand. Um, here in New Zealand, um, if you ask the average punter, they'll tell you that 80% of our energy is renewable. But that's not, it's 80% of our electricity, which is a small part of mm-hmm. our total energy use. And if you take our total energy use, 28% of it is renewable. So 28% of, of New Zealand's total energy use is renewable. And that has not changed since 1990. So all of the wind farms that have been built here, well, all of them have been built since 1990. So every piece of renewable energy built since 1990 has made zero difference to the consumption of, it's just added to our consumption. So our energy consumption has gone up at the same rate as we've added renewable. And that's the same for the planet. We have not moved ahead one percent we we add it as as fast as we add renewable we add consumption and so we have got nowhere in that time we haven't really changed our infrastructure to meet climate change really have we i mean people talk about electric cars but um has other uh, detrimental effects to to the planet oh yeah when you if you built a lot of hopefully electric trains, but even diesel trains, that would have a lot more effect if people switched from uh, cars to public transportation and more collectively. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just it's just completely wrong to think that electric vehicles help the problem. I mean, all they're doing is just making cheap motoring for some rich New Zealanders. Um, the, the amount of material that goes into building that, the amount of extra load that has to be carried around to carry that battery around and the materials that are in it that are all non-renewable and these cars are they're not just i mean it might be a different story if they were a little you know light metal box um aluminium box with a couple of seats in it but they're not they're these huge luxury vehicles with every imaginable you know kind of gadget inside them so that Cars are actually getting heavier. They still have to have tires. They still have to have roads. They still have to have all of the negative things about these great big one-ton machines to shift one person around. They're in no way a solution to our problem. And and this green label that we keep sticking to things is is really really um, taking away from the reality. I mean, I'm just been looking at. There's a big proposal for offshore wind turbines off off Taranaki and uh you know this is, this is going to be called green energy and and if you look at the materials that go into building this so-called green energy um is is just unbelievable uh so one offshore wind turbine has eight tons of copper i'm just going to pick on copper as an example of this green energy so this is from the IEA, um, International Energy Agency, the, the big wind turbines, um, and this is the average one that we have installed at the moment, has eight tonnes of copper in it. Uh, sorry, eight tonnes of copper per megawatt. And so the average turbine, which is the ones they're going to build out there, um, has 59 tonnes of copper for one single turbine. And 
And to put that into reality, uh, that copper, like all of the materials that we use in this so-called magic energy transition, are becoming rarer. We've got all the easy stuff and now they're tougher. So the main supplier globally of copper comes from Chile and the ore percentage there has gone down to 0.65%. So that means you get 6.5 kilograms of copper for every tonne that you process. Um, and so, so to get one tonne of copper, you need to dig up and process 153 tons and this is of the best ore available in the world so it's an absolute minimum amount that you'd have to do that so so to get your 60 tons of copper you'd have to um you'd have to dig up 9000 tons of material so that's 9000 tons of stuff mined using diesel trucks and things to dig up just the copper for that one wind turbine um, and so for they're planning for 54 off Taranaki, so I calculated that's half a million tonnes of material would have to be dug up on the other side of the world and processed and brought over here. And remember that every other technology that we're talking about for um, this renewable energy and, you know, the, the gadgets that we're going to run to run the world under this new uh, regime or we'll need copper, but it's pretty much the only way that we can transmit energy at the moment. Is that electricity. electric trains? Yeah, electric trains too, yeah. yeah. But I, it's nowhere near as much in a train because it's it's just the, the engine, it's not, and maybe the, the cables overhead, but nothing like, you know, linking up these wind turbines where they have to have these huge uh, cables as thick as your leg that join them up made out of copper. A friend of mine suggested that, the, in some ways, for New Zealand, the diesel locomotive using biofuel might be almost better than electric. Well, I, I don't know about that. that. I mean, we, we, we're going to have to get away from fossil fuels. And then a train is, is way, way more efficient than uh No, I was talking about diesel trains. Else. Yeah. Diesel electric trains. Oh, diesel! I, but, but they're all diesel electric anyway. Diesel electric's not going to make any difference. That that's just the, you know, it's like a, the only advantage with a hybrid is it's basically just a petrol engine with an electric drivetrain. The only advantage they have is that when when they're braking or slowing down, you can get that energy some of a tiny proportion of that energy back again as you slow okay. down. If you've got a if you've got a so. diesel electric. So, so it doesn't really save you anything. Electric trains are probably better because they can carry lots of people in freight. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, instead of having a hundred trucks, you've got one train. Yes, and the other thing is that the truck will have to have a battery if it's electric, and it would, that would be. Whereas a train, if you, as long as you've got those overhead cables, you're connected to the electricity all the time. Same as light rail or trolley yeah. buses or any of that kind of thing. I that, was very just. It does away with the need yeah. for batteries. The, the, what they did with the Wellington trolley buses shows they don't have it. They haven't got it, have they? Oh, no. no they just. I mean, so they, many they, stupid got, they took like down that. the trolley lines. Mm. Of course, part of that might be the economics. It was uh, privatizing. Yes, public services and, and public transport isn't necessarily the best thing for the economy. No, well, I, I I think it's pretty obvious that privatizing anything makes it worse, not better. I'd love to see a single example of where privatizing something made it better. It makes people richer. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. It made, makes a few people richer and a lot of people poorer. But hasn't that always been the goal of yeah. neoliberal well, economics, to make the few yep. richer? And we that's don't how, admit that's that's how that's how it works. Problem. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, well, previous civilizations have had markets and other foundations of economic system and have overgrown and destroyed their ecological base. It seems to me that capitalism as the basis for our present civilization is actually depending on a system that demands economic growth and to some extent demands inequality. I remember uh, our Prime Minister David Longy once saying, inequality is the engine of the economy. I agree with him. It's the energy, yeah. it's the energy of capitalism. Yes, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and the only thing I worry about the inequality story is that inequality is a is a massive issue, and it needs to be fixed. What happens is though that inequality gets used to avoid doing mm. what we need to do for the climate or for the planet. I I'm just thinking of. Mm you know jobs and mining and that kind of thing that governments with a left any kind of slightly left tend, tend to not want to interfere with jobs regardless of what the jobs are because it's employing people um so and and you know a lot of things that movements are stopped because it might mean less money for some people for but but the reality is we have to fix inequality and, and we have to fix, we can't let it, let inequality stop us from doing the things we need to do save the planet because we won't even be worried about inequality if we none of us can live on the planet. So we need to fix both, not use one to kind of leverage against the other, if you get what I mean. Yes. It's, 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 a, yeah. it's seen as a it's seen as a, as, as a halt to doing the right thing. I mean, sometimes. they're connected, aren't they? Oh, yeah. totally connected, and they can yeah. be connected yeah. in a positive or a negative way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we could fix the two of them together. Yeah. Oh, can we have some music now? And I'm going to speaking of inequality of the earth. I'm going to play a Billy Bragg. The world turned upside down. It's also. Um, Joe Winstanley, who was a uh, a digger, which we'll hear about in this um, CD I'm playing, <clears throat> became one of the first generation of Quakers. Treasury for all 
Blessing of property with two disdain No man has any right to buy and sell the earth for private gain By theft and murder, they took the land Now everywhere the walls rise up at their command They made the laws to chain us well The clergy dazzle us with heaven or they damn us into hell We will not worship the God they serve while poor folks starve We work, we eat together We need no swords We will not bow to the masters Or pay rent to the lords Till we are free Though we are poor Ah, you niggas all stand up for glory Stand up now Stand up now Stand up now The orders came They sent the hired men and troopers To wipe out the diggers' claim Tear down their cottages And destroy their corn They were dispersed But still the vision lingers on Are you poor take courage You rich take care This earth was made a common treasury For everyone to share All things in common All people want in peace, the order's kind to cut them down. Hi, friends. That was Billy Bragg talking about the um, movement for uh, the common land to be used for the common good in the midst of the English Revolution or Civil War. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcasting and going to Community Chaos. And we're talking with Mike Joy about the necessity for changing the direction of our economy toward living with less. Like, would that be the way you'd put that, Mike? Yeah, yeah, we have to, we have to learn to, to, to live with a lot less. I mean... I looked at the numbers. Um, so there's, there's a whole bunch of papers, and, and we could share the links if you wanted with the listeners. But um, one of the scientists warning an organization that I belong to, a big, big uh, coalition of scientists called Scientists Warning. And there's a paper there on affluence, um, you know, a peer reviewed public uh, p- paper. And what it talks about is the 10% of the population of, on the planet. Are responsible for more than 50% of the emissions and about 75% of the uh, extraction of non-renewable resources. So if you take that 10% of, of people on the planet, it turns out that 50% of New Zealanders are in that top 10% globally. And 10% of New Zealanders are in the top 1%. You, you know, you often hear people talking about the 1% and how much harm they do. Well, 10% of New Zealanders are in that 1%. And so it is a really uncomfortable reality that we are a wealthy country. Um, I know there's huge inequity within this country, but the upper 50% of, of income earners, uh, wealthy people, are in the 10% that do 50% or more of the harm on the planet. And and so that, that gives you an indication of how much we need to reduce 
our consumption by at least 75% less material consumption for each of us, the half of the two, the, how many of us is there? Five billion now. So two and a half billion, um, two and a half is five million of us. So two and a half million New Zealanders are in that group responsible for more than half of the harm on the planet. So, so we, we, and, and that would include, uh, me, uh, have to radically alter how we live. And, and we can't keep blaming other people or blaming oil companies or, you know, all the other stuff that I hear. Um, oil companies wouldn't be making all of the harm that they make if we didn't buy their products. So we are just as much to harm. We can't go blaming them while we're consuming it. Well, I actually, I'm not sure I agree with you totally, because I think the oil companies have encouraged us to to say it's all individual responsibility. Yeah, but I mean, you, um, no, you, so, so you tell me, Marvin, how, you, how would they exist if we didn't consume their products? Would they be there? It's like eating food. I mean, a lot of the, we have an industrial food market. It's probably bad for our health and bad for the um, ecology and the, and the soil. But we can't stop eating food. We can't stop using oil, but we can't stop. And we can choose, we can choose what we eat. We don't have to buy that shit from the supermarket, that highly processed, well, imported stuff. Uh, I know that, and I'm talking about the rich 50% here, the poor uh, maybe don't have that choice. The lot of New Zealand don't, don't have that choice, actually. Yeah. But the rich ones that I'm talking about do have that yeah. choice, but they still choose to buy the, That's the, true. the bad stuff. But. What I'm saying is that if you're going to have real change, you sure, the individuals have to change, and it's good to recycle, yep. and it's good to choose your food if you can. Yep. But if you really want change, you're going to have to change both the corporations and the government's attitude. You're not, yeah, yeah, but it has to be both. It's no good sitting here carrying on living like you live and blaming oil companies while going and filling up your four-wheel drive and but all that kind of thing. It has to be both ways. If you're one of those kids sitting in the street in front of traffic, you're probably not driving a four-wheel drive. No, exactly. And they are they're doing a great job highlighting the problems. And and so... And most of them won't be in the fifty percent, but it's it's not. I'm all I'm saying is it has to be both. It can't be. Yeah, but I'm saying, you know, blame the corporations. But all it has the to be. emphasis. I've been involved in climate change for twenty years, mm. and all the I argued about this twenty years ago. And actually, mm. two things I argued about twenty years ago. One that we weren't taking, we weren't telling us, us we weren't telling the public how bad it could get. We soft-pedaled that, and we said all we really need to do is recycle and use alternative energy and uh, that kind of thing. That's what we said, and we can do it all individually. Well, it didn't work. We should have been putting pressure on the politicians, real pressure, and on the corporation, but f mostly food trying to make mm. the governments know they had to change if they were going to ex continue to be in government. But we took... Yeah. We went, mean, they, we're they, so they individualistic. Yeah, but they they can't... I, I mean, 
I'm not look, saying look at what's happening at the moment. As as long as I think it's the other way around. As long as the the electorate is ignorant, then they can't. I mean, if, if, well, that's if some point. politician was to say, right, we need to get rid of cars tomorrow. I mean, they'll be voted out before they even had yeah, lunch. But we haven't but, had a politician who said how bad it is or tried to give us yeah. any leadership. Jacinda Aldern could have given us real leadership. She couldn't yep. have got rid of cars immediately. No, but, but I know, but but you can see the problem that the, the politicians The politicians are mostly interested in getting reelected, to be honest. Yes, yes. And well, and they only get reelected on rubbish policies like we're seeing at the moment, like coming from the two Chris's, because the electorate actually I don't doesn't think know necessarily true. I think you're you're underestimating the public's capacity if they had the proper leadership. I mean, yeah. I was quite surprised when Grant uh, Robinson and David Parker suggest radical climb, a radical action on um, income inequality and taxation. And then we had the prime minister said the usual thing of the leaders of governments, uh, we're not going to do anything like that as long as I'm prime minister. We're not going to do anything radical. But, but, but Marvin, he would have done that because he tested the electorate and they realized no, that if they the went ahead with there it. There actually were polls that showed that about 51% would have supported tax reform. Yeah, but, they, but okay, if, if that he was true. He didn't try, then, did he? Well, he didn't try. I tell you, I, every time they do try it, they get voted out. I mean, my, uh, my friend here on the coast, who was the mayor of Kapiti, who introduced water metering and saved 40, uh, sorry, 30% of water consumption, and was voted out immediately. I mean, those kind of decisions that are better for all of us end up getting you voted out because the majority of the electorate don't get it that we have a water problem, and so they, they vote them out. Partly they don't get it, though we should get certainly get it by water. Mm. I mean, but, but the other part is that our leaders don't lead they don't lead not only in they, they don't pass radical legislation, but they don't talk about how the situation. They are honest with us. Yeah, if they are, if they, they know, know that themselves. if they know that if they're honest, they'll get voted out and laughed at. And the reason that is, I mean, you've got to look a bit further and go, why, why is it unacceptable to make these tough decisions? Then it's got to be because the electorate don't realise that we need to have tough decisions. If they could. If we had an, an educated electorate that knew what we know, then they could pass really radical laws and, and we would vote for them. Well, that's that's what I've been saying. I've been saying the government should lead first for education. Yeah. But are they, 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 they should, yeah. We could say all day long what they should be doing. But they, they're not, and they haven't, because they're trying to stay in power. And and they it's sort of like it, it's it's one of your feedback loops that we were talking about earlier. I, I can't help but think that it's they only get away with what they get away with because you have an electorate that doesn't understand the problems. Well, and we can blame the media for that. That's where I would start looking at the media. Why, why aren't... You know, why is it only the Otago Daily Times who runs that story of mine of all the newspapers in New Zealand, for example? Um, well, you know, that's the... Well, that's that, you're talking about economics right there. I mean, who yeah, owns the media? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, sure. the, who decided that we should have just private media in New Zealand? Yeah. That was politicians. Politicians changed the media considerably, like they changed the train system and yeah. who owned the buses. Politicians did that. When they want to do something right-wing, they seem to be able to get away with it. Uh, yeah, I know. Because the population believed them. No, it's also because the people had the money and power. Oh, yeah, 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 and a lot of influence. I mean, I've just seen, you know, endless amounts of that with that work that I do with freshwater and just how much how much power the agriculture industry has over government in New Zealand. They pretty much write the rules for themselves. One of the things I've been thinking about is that in some ways socialism hasn't had a great ecological past, you might say. I am a socialist of sorts, but I've been thinking about the idea of the common good in a way that song by Billy Bragg was about the common good, but the common good's an, an old idea that's been around for hundreds of years, well, a few hundred years. And the common good should include the earth, should include nature, not just human good. What do you think of that? Oh, totally, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, the, the philosophers have, have really nailed this in the past, but there is, it gets lost. What's what's important, all of their really important things in life get lost, and we get caught up in a world where we're marketed and we, we think that we have to have all these things to be happy um, and all this money to be happy, and so we we kind of completely lost touch with the important things that 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 make us happy um truly happy and healthy um and, and it's yeah it's just actually got a paper that'll be out soon hopefully i'll be able to share it with you with a bunch of other authors about um marketing and behavior change through marketing how much that's influenced us i mean it, it just strikes me i mean there's so many examples but the what i see around where i live the growth in storage units because people have so much stuff they can't fit it in their giant houses anymore so they have to buy you know they have to hire units to put all their stuff in um and, and i don't i don't know how much of that mm. is innate but i suspect oh, I know. you know a little bit but but the marketers have been so successful in convincing us that we need to have all this crap uh, it, it's unbelievable of course, a lot of people can't really afford to go that far. In the neighborhood where I live, people, most of the, if they have cars, they have to park them on the street because they don't have all yes, street yes, garages. No, no, I'm, I'm not doubting that. Again, it's, the, it's that huge inequity um, that we have here. I mean, I'm not, we don't suffer in my neighborhood that much. Yeah. Well, I'm saying it's, it's not like... No, no, I don't think there's... Well, I mean, there's so much being written. There's no... It doesn't make you any happier having all this crap. In fact, it makes you. But don't less we need happy. a different story? Yes, but but all, all I was saying was talking about the marketing. Why you know why is yeah. why is everybody so convinced that they need to do all this and have all this? Well, I think you know, you hit the nail on the head. It's part of capitalism and part of the marketing. Mm, that, mm. I mean, the people that do the run the market here are convinced that we have to have growth. Yes. Or we're in trouble if we don't. The, the economy will crash. 
we'll, uh, the corporations I'm working for will lose out. And so they, I think in the 50s, late 40s and 50s, they, they figured out that they had to find a way to control democracy or they would have things like the welfare state and uh, kind of mixed socialist economies like you had in Northern Europe. And their solution was marketing everything, every idea. But should we be talking about what we hope for as well as what we fear? I mean, there are, they, they very rarely get mentioned, but there are real solutions to, to our problems. And, um, you know, I've just been, I'm just writing a, a lecture at the moment. And, um, I, some, some people that I work with, some actually a bunch of freshwater ecologists, but others have just did a, a little study for, um, New Zealand on, it, the title of the paper is Growing for Good, Producing a Healthy Low Greenhouse Gas and Water Quality Footprint Diet in Aotearoa. And, and they did this, they based the food production in New Zealand around a healthy diet, the sort of food that we should be eating okay. rather than what we are eating. And and they also, they had, they had a couple of scenarios that they ran and we have big freshwater issues, I'm sure um, everyone knows about the excess nitrate and, and phosphate in our waters. Um, and, and what they showed is that shifting productive land use change in New Zealand to support healthy, domestically produced diet for the New Zealand population could support meeting env environmental targets for, for greenhouse gases, for nitrogen and for phosphorus. The maximum cost of the changes was about 1% of the primary export revenues and orders of magnitude less than the estimated savings for the health system from an optimised diet. So you get... You know, Otago, it shows up really, really well in this study that um, there could be 50% reduction in nitrate loss um, and a, 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 a minus, so a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions of about 6,000%. And and that would mean, oh, no, sorry, uh it was about 1,500, 1,500% 1, uh, change in green, reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. And it actually a few percent increase in profit for, for food producers on the land in the Otago region. I mean, these are the opportunities that are sitting here. Um, they're never going to be pushed for by the agriculture industry because they make money on on processing this stuff into milk powder and shipping it offshore to be junk food additive and breast milk uh, replacement. But um, there are real solutions and scientists are coming up with these amazing um, numbers for if we just could start to think about um, changing what we eat. And at the moment, near, I can't get the exact number, but in our supermarkets, about 80% of what sold and called food is this highly processed imported stuff and um you know all of this healthy food that that is produced very little of it gets consumed because the supermarket duopoly is pretty much controlling what people are eating in this country and and our growing is for export not for local consumption 
so those kind of those kind of real um solutions are, are there but just get so little uh, air time the some of the radical changes they've had in in the world in the turn of the 19th century and later on were by people who worked long hours didn't have much power i think we underestimate the capability of people to change if we if we manage to have a better story out there and and we're willing to to lead that change, not just by example, but also by organizing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. There's, there's a bit of a dilemma, though, that um, so, so much of our work is done for us by fossil fuels. I don't know if you've um, heard of this kind of analogy around um, energy slaves, but um, some, some great work that's been, I mean, we just take it for granted, but but say a barrel of oil or a tank of gas in the car has the energy equivalent of a human working for four and a half years. So you go and pay a hundred bucks to fill the car up and then think that you you've been ripped off, but actually you've bought yourself a slave, the equivalent of a human slave that will work for you for four and a half years and not require any housing or clothing or anything like that. So and that the average New Zealander has a couple of hundred of these fossil fuel energy slaves working for us all the time and make our lives very luxurious, although we don't realise it and everyone's grumpy and scowling sitting in the traffic in their cars with no awareness of just what how this magic, you know, fossil fuel boom that we've lived in is. Um and and we just and I don't think, you know, when it comes to amount of work that's done for us by fossil fuels so if you if you take for 2018 the global economy used to see we ran on 17 trillion watts of energy and 80 percent of it came from oil and that's equivalent to 500 billion human workers if you if you convert that energy and that fossil fuel into human workers so we have about 4 billion real workers on the planet and we have 500 billion human equivalent workers in fossil fuels. So, you know, and we pay them. If you worked it out, it would be way less than one cent an hour we pay them. You know, that the reality of a future where we have to start doing that work again ourselves um, is, is, is kind of hard to imagine. And um, as an older person, is, is, it is quite scary because I've got so used to having my energy slaves doing my work for me. Do you believe that if we just carry on, the economy will probably crash either because of ecological damage or be, and because of the nature of the economy itself? Yeah, yeah, no, I can see, um, I can see it coming, and I mean. <laughs> Or is the, the choice the, 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 the debt levels are incredible. Is the choice to leave it to the market and leave it to um, individual action, or is to plan, or should we be planning for it? Oh, I think you know clearly we should be planning for it because the the, the crash will be incredibly bad. Um, you know, the, uh, it's going to happen. We're going to degrow. It, it, that's inevitable. Um, 
no, and I can't put a timeline on when it's going to happen. Um, you know, all those tipping points we talked about are starting to kick in. So the only sensible option for us is is to um, is to plan our way down, and we should have done. We should have started seventy years ago when the limits to growth paper first came out. But um, you know, we have to manage our way down or else it's going to be very very nasty um you know what we're seeing in the ukraine and what we're seeing in all of the other kind of conflicts that are going on around the planet um that kind of thing is the outcome we'll get if we don't if we don't get onto it so really we have to have mass education and um, and a different story, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, if people, uh, if your listeners want to have a look at um, Degrowth Aotearoa New Zealand, D-A-N-Z, um, there's a lot of information put together on, on what we could do and how to do it. We're having our inaugural conference next weekend. Um, I think there's still a few tickets available to you can join online. Degrowth Aotearoa New Zealand, uh, conference the weekend of the 16th and 17th of September and a lot of these issues we'll, we'll be talking about there a two-day uh, conference so so you, yeah we're, it's, it's you happening just, just google degrowth yeah do do d-a-n-z degrowth Aotearoa New Zealand and you'll find the you'll find the and and the uh, some amazing speakers um already the, the program's all done. Uh, a couple of really amazing uh, international speakers, but some great New Zealanders involved in the whole project as well. Okay. What, what kind of... How would you change the physical infrastructures in New Zealand? You could. Oh. Well, I mean, I think that um, we have to... We have to ch radically change how we use the land, um, and, and so we have to get rid of um, all of these stupid coal-fired um, drying systems, the stainless steel that we have for drying milk and turning it into milk powder, which, as I mentioned before, is not. Pardon me, doesn't end up as food. It ends up as junk food additive, mm. <clears throat> and so changing. How we use the land will make more land available for uh, for native um, forests. Sorry, I've, I've got a bit of a cold. I'm just going to. So you see the future is small farm kind of thing. So yes, the, so the future is small. It's local. It's it's forget this global world that we've got locked up into. We saw through through COVID the risks involved with being part of globalization. Um, we need to start looking after ourselves, growing local food, um, local energy, local food, okay. uh, stop. But basically what we're doing at the moment is just selling out um, our, our natural capital for money to buy big utes and, you know, SUVs and big screen TVs, and, and that's what we've got to reverse. Okay. Think, think smaller and local. Thanks a lot for that, and thanks for coming on. No worries. Thank you. Okay, bye. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.